you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Alain Hunkins. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mads. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks. Excellent. I am really excited because today we're going to deep dive into management. So you have been a management trainer for many years and you've trained lots of managers. Do you want to give the audience a little bit of background to who you are and so on? Sure. Again, my name is Alain Hunkins and uh, I'm originally from New York City, grown, in, uh, grown up in New York and in the US. I now live in the Netherlands. I have a company. I'm the managing director of the Hunkins Leadership Group and I have been working as a management training consultant and speaker and coach since about 1997. I got into this field because I was always really interested in people, why people do what they do. Um, I started with an undergraduate with a minor in psychology and an English major, and then actually studied theater. I went to a drama school for a graduate school for three years, which is a great place to learn a lot about how people have to perform, since it's in fact, it is the, the art of performance is theater. So I learned a lot about that, then transitioned into teaching in schools, uh, doing conflict resolution and leadership training with teenagers, and then transitioned to working in organizations and have been doing that, as I said, for about 25 years. I've worked in 25 countries around the world, and I've worked with over 2,000 different companies and literally hundreds of thousands of managers and leaders. Excellent. That sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's a <laughs> long time. One day at a time. Adds up. How did you actually get started with, uh, with management and leadership training? Well, it's interesting. You know, I got started with this because when I was first working in schools, I was working with a guy, I met a guy who had been doing management training and he said, have you ever thought about working in organizations? And I thought, I don't know the business world. So he introduced me to what was then called the American Society of Training and Development. And I went to a, a local meeting and I thought, oh, these business people, <laughs> I, don't really, I don't fit in here very well. I felt very out of place. But on the way out, and this was 1997, by the way, on the way out, I picked up their newsletter and they had a job hotline. Now, this is pre-internet. So literally, you had to dial one for this job, dial four for this. It was like a call up on the phone. And most of the jobs were for things like technical software trainers. And I thought, no, 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 this won't work. This is no good. But then I heard this job listening for a management experiential training company and our company values are integrity accountability teamwork and fun and i thought well, that's right up my alley because those are my core values so i ended up applying for this job and i ended up getting hired as a trainer a management trainer for this company and that's really where i cut my teeth in working in organizations now the good news in all this because look when i started here i was a management consultant and i had zero consulting experience and i had zero management experience but uh, what I found, though, was I had this great mentor, and she said, Alain, you don't need to know everything about people's business. They do. What you need to, though, be is very curious and ask great questions. And she helped me to create this wonderful question template with questions like, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? So I would ask a question like that. 
And then I would shut up and listen. And what I found was people would talk and let's say someone said, well, my biggest challenge is communication. Then I'd learn, well, tell me more about that, right? So just basically probe deeper. And I found that those kind of human relation, communication, consulting skills, I'd start to get great information, but I also learned how to build relationships with clients over time. Because I'm a firm believer that at the core of management and leadership, I don't care what business you run, you're in the people business. So I think my background in being curious about people has served me quite well. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think that the, the most valuable skill I, I feel I've learned is really around uh, sort of human behavior. Like specifically, I've spent many, many, many years uh, learning DISC uh, at a high level, right? And I, I think for me, that's definitely been the biggest thing. What I, what I always tell people is that, uh, particularly when working with corporate managers who have been doing well and suddenly drop off, 99% of the time, it's not issues at work, it's issue at home. Like it's issue with their partner or with their parents or with their children or it's always something like that. So very often, exactly as you said, like you need to dig in, you need to figure out what is the actual issue that the person is dealing with. And you, you literally end up being a relationship expert slash mediator slash lots of different things, right? But again, that's what it takes to, to help solve problems because it's not always the obvious thing that's right in front of you, right? It's very often something in the background. And I, I, I mean, I've, I've built all of my businesses purely on relationships, right? So I've, I've, I mean, I've run my management business even in these, this day of age without having a website for about four or five years and solely just build it on the back of, of relationships and networking. And I, I've fundamentally believe that it's, it's probably the most important skill, not just in management, but in business. Because again, it's finding candidates, finding great employees. The best way to do it is meet them before you hire them, right? Like one thing is when, when someone walks into an interview and so on, that's great. But when you actually know people up front that you know and trust, it, it makes it so much easier to, to find great people, right? So totally, totally agree on that one. Yeah. What's, what's sort of the number one thing that you see, if, if we stick specifically to management skills, what's the number one thing that most of your clients are struggling with? That's a great question. So I think the number one thing that I see managers struggling with, I want to I tell you a story to illustrate this. And it's a story of a guy named Matt. And uh, Matt was a district manager for a global fast food franchise. Now, this particular f company that he worked for, they had 100 districts, and each district had a district manager, of which Matt was one, and each of those district manager had about eight to 10 stores or restaurants that they had to kind of basically manage. And when I met Matt, he was the number one performing district manager out of all of them. And so I got a chance to interview him. I said, so Matt, when you started, and he had started about 18 years earlier, when you started, were you a high performer the way you are now? And he laughed at me, he said, oh, I was like 85, 86 out of 100. Because they keep, you know, they call it the hot list. It's a battery of the key performance indicators, things like revenue per store, drive-through wait time. These are all relevant metrics for their business. He said, yeah, I was low on the list, definitely. I said, so tell me what changed. And so I think where he was when he was number 84 is in fact the biggest challenge that many managers face. Because the way Matt described it, he said, when I started, I thought my job was to be the fixer in chief. 
that I would go from store to store and I was the boss, I was in charge. So I would come in and I have a list of all the metrics and I'd see what was in red, what was poor. And I'd come in and tell them, hey, you've got to fix this. What's going on with this? Why don't you do this? And I was coming in, giving advice, telling people what to do. What I didn't stop to realize was I'm actually working with people. He really saw, he said, I did not like I'm inhumane or crass, but I really didn't see people as people. I saw them as workers to get this job done. And my job was to be the fixer. And he said, he had his mentor who said, Matt, if you want to change, you got to stop thinking like a fixer and start thinking like a manager and a leader. You have to start realizing that you can't focus on the numbers first. He said, it's not that you don't think about the numbers, it's that you don't make the numbers the priority. He said, we have to realize is the numbers don't produce themselves. People produce the numbers. And so you need to focus on the people first. So he started making this shift where he'd come into the stores and the first thing he'd say was, hey, how are you? How was your weekend? It's Monday, how was your weekend? And so people would talk to him and he'd start to build real relationships. So if he said, hey, Mads, how was your, your weekend? And you said, oh, you know, my daughter turned six. This, then he knows that your daughter and your family is important to you. So he could build on that the next time he came in. And so he started building these relationships with people. And he'd come in with this list and he'd still have, you know, things in red on the, on the key performance indicator hot list. But instead of coming in, you need to fix this, you need to do that. He'd show them the list and say, so here's an issue. What do you think we should do? So he started pulling information out of people instead of pushing it at them. So he got out of that command and control management mindset and started getting into this, what I'll call new school leadership or new school management, where he's seeing himself much more as a coach and a facilitator. And I think that mindset shift, moving from fixer to leader, is the biggest challenge that people have and it's also the biggest opportunity people have to improve their performance. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I, I have a management training as well. And, and what I talk the most about, it's the mindset change. So I call it a little bit different. I, I, I look at it as being the mindset change between being an individual contributor, where it's all about you, and moving into a mindset of being a manager, where what you do doesn't matter. So it, it's like it basically goes from it's all about your performance to it's all about what you can achieve through other people, right? And, and that fundamental mindset change, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? So I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, what I love, about, I love what you just said there, Mads, about the sense of what you do doesn't matter because in that shift to that place, it's about letting go of control to a certain level. And I think for so many managers and owners, it's the letting go of control is what feels so fearful. It's like, oh, but if I, if I do that, what will they do? How will they handle it? And that's such a big challenge for so many of them. And, and, and the biggest challenge I see is that the, the problem is the longer that people, and I, I really call it micromanagement, right? But, but the longer people do that, the bigger the gap between them and the skill of their employees get. So actually for the longer period, in my experience, that people micromanage, the harder it actually gets to change. So it's about the earlier in your business you can actually change that, the easier it also is to do, right? So I, I, uh, I, I probably, when, when people ask me what the biggest issue is, I generally say delegation because that's what I see, that, that's the specific area that I see being the biggest challenge, right? Yeah, but yeah. A lot, it ties into a lot of these areas, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very much this thing with letting go and it's very much, 
it's it's the understanding of you can only do one thing at a time. And if all your energy is you fixing things that's worth a dollar an hour or whatever, like you're never going to get anywhere with your business, right? Yeah, because ultimately leadership and management is the business of multiplication, right? If when you're jumping in there and just trying to fix the one thing, it's a little addition here and there and you're plugging a leak and you're fixing this and you're putting on some duct tape or some band-aids to cover the problem and you're serving as a crutch, but you're not coaching. And so how are you going to start to multiply and grow people? It's amazing how many managers, when I ask them, so what are you accountable for? They start listing off the metrics. Well, I'm accountable for revenue. I'm accountable for sales, profitability, quality, um, customer satisfaction, right? All these things. And I'll say, well, aren't you accountable for developing your people? Aren't you accountable for growing your staff and, and their capabilities? Oh, oh yeah, right. And that too. But because they don't, it's hard to, it's much harder to measure. And it's again, humans, if we don't see it, out of sight, out of mind. And somehow, if we don't see the hard metric of the impact that we're having on people, we somehow think it doesn't exist when in fact, it's much more real than anything else. Because as we said, the numbers don't produce themselves. They only come from people. Yeah, and I, I would say, I mean, it, it can be hard, but so one of my favorite numbers is attrition. Like obviously attrition can happen for multiple reasons, but if you have teams with multiple managers, looking at attrition, and, and then my personal favorite is how far in advance do you know when someone's leaving? Because if you know like 30 days or 31 day before they leave, that tells me it, like occasionally it can happen. But for most people, if you only know the day they have to tell you, that tells me that your relationship with your staff generally isn't great. Yeah. Whereas the longer upfront you know, that tells me that your staff respect you and have a great relationship with you and the team in general and don't want to put you in a tough spot. And as a business manager, right, if you know three months before someone is leaving, it makes your life so much easier because you can actually get a replacement in place, trained and, you know, working before the person leaves. Whereas normally when you get a month, you hardly get enough time to do anything really. So that's, that's why like particularly for measuring people and, and sort of how they develop their staff. I, I really love the sort of retention rate focus. That's a great one for sure. So I've never asked this of anyone, but um, how do you think a, a manager, uh, let, let's take a business owner since most of my listeners are business owners. How do you think a, a business owner should split that time between doing, let's call it their tasks and doing management? Sure. Well, I think for one thing, um, beyond the time, it's not, to me, it's not just the time. It's also a question of focus. I find that so many people that I coach don't give themselves large chunks of uninterrupted time to do what I call the deep work of really thinking strategically. That even if they say, oh, I'm going to focus on the strategy in the long term of the business, they're still responding to emails, answering phone calls, having meetings. I mean, for my take, look, I've written a book. I, there's no way I could get that book written if I kept my internet connection active, right? There's things I have to shut out those, the, the distractions. And so the first task is to get rid of the distractions so you can focus on the deep work about really taking a look at where is your business now? Where do you want it to be? 
and either you or with some real trusted advisors to do that coaching strategic level, to think through at that high strategy level. Then it's a question of, okay, so then we have the day-to-day management of what's going on. And what I think that really makes a difference is what are the routines and the structures that I build in day to day, because one thing that people perform better when they have a sense of certainty and consistency. So if you're flying into your business and flying out and people don't know when things are going to happen, it creates a lot of uncertainty for them. You know, there's a great quote from the famous management um, guru, Edwards Deming, who said, if you put a good person in a bad system, the bad system will win every time. And I think for us as owners, we have to take a real good look at the systems that we put in place that support people. And are those systems designed so that people can operate and perform at their best? And if not, are we willing to change them? And that is also to be able to look at systems thinking takes a higher level than getting stuck in the day-to-day operations of what we're doing. So generally, I think the more time that we can pull ourselves out of the weeds of the day-to-day details and get more into what's happening, it's going to help us to build into the future more effectively. I love that. I, I, I mean, I, I personally have it. I, I struggle to focus on one thing for extended period of time, right? But basically the way I personally do it is I, I generally have three time slots, right? So I, I basically plan every single day, sort of three to four and a half hours where, you know, I have dedicated them to a particular topic or a particular thing that I'm working on. And I usually plan out every Sunday night, I basically plan out the week ahead so that I have those sort of topics listed and I know exactly what I'm working on them. I found that really helps me because, you know, when I started out, I tried to plan eight hours a day and, you know, there was never time for email. There was never time for all that stuff. And it would just, it would never work. But I found when I schedule these three, four hours a day, it really helps me get the important stuff done. And it really works well to, to also have time to do the rest of the stuff, right? But I, I, think, I think particularly stuff like strategy and when you're thinking like the absolutely big, big stuff, you're, you're totally right. Like you need to take days out to sit and look at that, right? Um, yeah, so yeah. for sure. Good, good. And um, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me, particularly what you talked a lot about framework and so on, right? So what, what I've always done as a management coach is I have a fairly simple framework and it's not too big, but I do it exactly for the reason that you say that, you know, people are too busy. And I, I always tell people it's better that you have a framework that you people know they can trust and that is consistent rather than you suddenly trying to do 25 different things and you do it for two weeks and then I just start falling to the cracks, right? Um, so I, w- I really love the way you, you sort of think about the, the whole framework thing. Um, and, and I think fundamentally when you're, when you're managing people, right, you, you have to make sure that the systems and consistency, like I, I've never met a human being that doesn't perform better with routines, right? And I, I think fundamentally routines is both in the business, but also as an individual, you need to build those routines, right? Yeah. I mean, and there's all sorts of brain science behind that, Mads. I mean, ultimately what it 
boils down to is, and anyone think of anything you ever learned, learning how to ride a bicycle or how to drive a car is at the beginning, think about how exhausting it is because you're just trying to learn because it's all, there's nothing on automatic. You're not building, you're not able to pulling on any habit, but over time, as that kind of moves from the near-term memory to the long-term and, and then gets into your muscle memory, you're not having to think about it. So that frees up your brain's cognitive capacity to focus on other things, which is why no one has to go to the, the, no one goes to sleep at night and goes, oh, that toothbrush, I haven't done that in a while, right? It's a habit, you've built that in over time so you're not having to think about it. So the more that we can do that both for ourselves as well as for the people that we're managing, it makes a diff big difference. So building those habits, those rituals that are gonna breed high performance. Yeah, totally. Now, if, if you're a business owner today, if, if, if you had a business owner come to you and said, Ella, you know, I'm starting, I have a team of 10 people. Uh, I have a fairly small business. I'm doing pretty well, but I don't feel I'm doing well on a management, from a management aspect. Where's the best place to start? Like what's the top one or two things that is the most critical for me to get right? Great. Well, I would say, and this goes back to what we just talked about, having a simple framework. So I work with a very simple framework. It's three C's. It's actually what I call the three secrets to building strong leaders and managers, which is connection, communication, and collaboration. So where I would start is connection. The fact is everyone performs better when they feel cared for. And there's wonderful metrics about this. And so the key to connection ultimately boils down to do people feel cared for? And the way to have people feel cared for is through empathy. And there's been great studies by DDI, which is one of the world's largest training consultancies. They found that teams and, and managers that actually demonstrate high levels of listening and responding with empathy outperform others by 40%. So it's a pretty massive difference. So where I would start is building real genuine personal relationships with the people on my team. Now I know some people think, but this is business. You know, I'm the boss, I'm the owner. What happens? It doesn't make a difference, right? So that's this old myth that thinks that you can't, you know, you're sharing too much, you're being too personal. You can care about people and they'll still get done the job. In fact, they'll get it done better. So the first thing I would focus on is what am I doing to build relationships, genuine relationships with my people? And then once I have those, the next big phase is communication. Instead of me thinking that I have to know it all. And again, Mads, I think that so many managers and business owners adopt what I call the superhero mentality. The thing that I have to wear this cape and I have to be all seeing, all knowing. If there's a problem, I'm the one who has to fix it and figure it out. What if you actually saw yourself as the focal point of the wheel that you don't have to do everything, but you can facilitate what needs to happen. So what that looks like in communication is if there's a problem, bring the problem to the team and say, here's the issue. What do you all think? And maybe they'll help you to clarify the problem. Maybe they'll help you to generate ideas. Maybe they'll help you come up with different ways to implement the solutions. But taking that burden off of yourself and actually distributing it to the team, suddenly you're going to start finding you have a much higher performing team. So those are the places I would start. I'd start with connection and then I'd follow it up with really effective communication. I love it. 
love it. So I, I, I think I, I, my framework probably works the same way. So I start out with, with one-to-ones, right? And, and yeah, that's yeah. exactly for the same reason. So it, it's a simple framework to build that relationship. So I always tell people, you don't need to be friends with your employees, but you need to have a great relationship with them. Like you don't need to go and hang out for barbecue after work and stuff like that. Uh, if, if you don't connect with them, that's actually not required. But the key thing is you need to build a relationship. You need to get to know your staff and you need to actually care about them. Right. Completely. And that, yeah, that's perfect. Excellent. I like that. I like that. What about sort of emotional intelligence? That's one of the things that people talk a lot about nowadays. Like what's your take on emotional intelligence and how to work with it as a manager? Yeah. So emotional intelligence, and again, similar to empathy, which is actually, they're very related They're I wouldn't even say close cousins. They're probably more like brother and sister. Um, the idea of emotional intelligence becomes the groundwork for your ability to relate well with other human beings. And there's two main components of emotional intelligence. The first is self-awareness. That is, are you a, are you aware of how you feel inside? And could you express it if someone said, Hey, Matt, how are you feeling right now? Are you even aware of that? Number one. And then number two, do you have some self regulation around like, so look, we all get knocked off of our center from time to time. Are you able to bring yourself back to center at times? We've all know people who can't do that very well. And when I have studied and talked to, you know, literally hundreds and thousands of leaders around, tell me about the leaders that you admire the most. What are some of the qualities or the characteristics that would describe them? I have yet to meet a single person who has said, well, you know, my favorite leader, what I loved about them is how stressed out they used to get all the time and how they used to yell. I mean, no one ever says that, right? It's all around, they were calm. They were enthusiastic. They listened to me, right? So these are the qualities that we see time and time again. So in terms of building your emotional intelligence, there's the self-awareness piece, but it's also the awareness of what is the impact that I'm having on others. And I think one of the most valuable things that managers and business owners can do is to ask the people around them for some feedback. Hey, how, how, is, how is my leadership or my management serving you well? And what could I be doing differently that could be even better? Now, obviously, just asking that question takes a certain amount of humility because not everyone is going to feel humble enough to do that. They have the egos like, I'm, I think I'm great. So here's the interesting thing about this, Mads, is that most recent studies I saw by a company called Ketchum Communications is that only 23% of people believe that their managers and leaders lead well. And I think, God, that is a shockingly low number. But if I had a room of 100 managers and I said, okay, how many of you think you're a great manager? Raise your hand. You'd have 100 hands go up in that room, right? Because we all think that we're better than we are. And so the big gap is because when people take these surveys and only 23% say that their managers are good, it's because the surveys are confidential. There is no real world repercussion for, pe for people telling the truth. And just think about in our own businesses, what are the repercussions if people really spoke up and told us what they really think, right? That's interesting because I think for a lot of people, they hold back because they feel like if I speak up, it would be considered a career limiting move. Now, the funny part about that is that even if you think that you have an open environment, unless you are explicit about, please give me the feedback, 
people will assume that you don't want to hear it. So remember, the unspoken thing that is going on in your business is there's a power dynamic. You're the boss, they're an employee. And you're pay- you know, at the end of the day, you're the one who signs their paycheck. And they know that. And you know that. And even though we don't talk about it, it very much Im- influences and impacts the relationship that we're having. So managers and owners and leaders have to be exceptionally open and exceptionally humble about asking for feedback in order us, for us to hear it. Otherwise, we're going to suffer from, you know, the old story about the emperor has no clothes, right? And um, that's everyone, I think that's been translated around the world. So the idea is that we think we're great and people tell us we're great, but we're living in our own bubble. Some people call that the CEO disease, right? Where we only hear the good news. Yeah, so I, I would say I actually see quite a few people ask either staff members or people at their own level, like, you know, what, what do you think about me? What am I doing? The, the problem I see is when they do that, they instantly go into defense mode. Yeah, that's such a problem. Yeah. Right, which, which is the, it's exactly worse than not asking the question. Because you're kind of saying, hey, I'm open to feedback. And then whenever people give you feedback, you just shoot them down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. 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 That's not really, that's, that's receiving feedback poorly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, in fact, I coach leaders about this all the time and managers is that basically when people give you feedback, there is only one response and it only involves two words. You listen and then you thank say, you. exactly, thank you. And then you get to sit with it. And the great thing about feedback is if it doesn't fit, throw it in the trash can. But you know what? Before you throw it in the trash can, hold on to it for a while. Because when the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth person come by and they share the exact same thing, maybe it's time for you to start listening and going, oh, eight against one. Maybe I'm wrong. You're right? And, and are you willing to take that feedback? I mean, I'll just give you an example. I mean, early in my career, I had someone who cared enough to give me some honest feedback and said, hey, Alain, you know, I know that you're really driven and you really want to serve clients well but you come across when you're working with a team, you get so focused that you steamroll over all of us. And frankly, you get a bit arrogant and loud and people get scared of you because I'm not exactly angry, but just really loud and like, we got to do this and very certain. And so they share this feedback with me. And then I found I was consistently getting very similar feedback over time. And it's probably about the fifth or sixth person who said that, I couldn't keep going, oh, that's just them. That's just them. It's like, well, no, actually, maybe it's just me. So are we willing as managers and owners to hold up the mirror to ourselves and go, you know, how do I need to change in this? Because frankly, the only person I really have any leverage of changing is myself. So might as well start there because that's where you're going to get the best return for your efforts. Yeah, I love it. And and I think at least what I've seen, right? Like for myself, I, I, the way I receive feedback, I, I've definitely learned to say thank you. And that's really important. It's probably, yeah, it's, it's one of the most critical aspects. What, what I've always seen for myself is what happens is I pi- kind of put it in the back of my mind. And then often it takes me maybe months where I'm going like once in a while I think about it. And, you know, I, I'm probably looking for examples. I'm looking for situations where I'm like, oh, this was what this person told me, you know, I'm in a situation like this again, maybe I should try and do it differently. Right. So, but I, I, I noticed for myself, it's not like when people tell me something, it's not an instant change, but it's often something that, you know, that I put in the back of my head and, and 
I kind of I kind of keep thinking on it, and then at some point, a couple of months down the line, it change, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, well, I think what you're talking about here, man, it's, it's, it's this wonderful thing that feedback is beyond the gift of the actual feedback itself is it raises our own cognitive capacity where a lot of times, you know, we do stuff just because we do it. And I call that unconscious, either incompetence or competence, right? But when someone raises it up through feedback, that moves from unconsciousness to consciousness. And so suddenly, like you said, the next time you see it, now I'm aware of it. And so then I can start to become more conscious. And the reason it's so valuable for us as owners and managers to become more conscious about why we do what we do, even if we're successful, is then we can repeat it on demand. And not only can we repeat it, we can now teach it to other people, which, which allows us to build our capacity. And then suddenly I have other people who are able to do what I was doing, and I'm now freed up to do bigger and better things. Yeah, I love it. And, and I think that's, I mean, ultimately, one of my favorite books, I'm, I'm sure you might know about it, but uh, it's called What Got You Here Won't got you, Get You There. Yeah, Marshall, Marshall Goldsmith. Goldsmith. Yeah, yeah. And like that was, that was literally one of the, my favorite books because, and, and I probably wasn't as much of a target at it myself, but it really, really helped. Prior to it, I'd always been like, you know, I'm trying to give them feedback, but they're not really getting it. But, but that book just explained so well yeah, how, how to work with that kind of feedback and how to understand. And actually, I had a great example, a, a Portuguese guy I was managing who were like extremely, extremely, extremely assertive to the point of, you know, oh, we have a meeting, let me close the door and start screaming type thing. And the thing was, he was successful. He had been promoted and, and he thought that he was successful because he was screaming and because he was doing all these things. And he didn't realize that it was what was holding him back. And, you know, no matter how I was giving him feedback, he, he, his, his understanding that his way of doing things was what brought him all the success was so difficult to change. But that book really gave me not ammunition, that's the right word, but it, wrong word. It's, it basically gave me a much better way to explain to him yeah. the concept. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Excellent, excellent. I, uh, very interesting conversation. Um, again, as I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of these sort of understanding people and behavior and so on. A, any kind of sort of frameworks or anything like that you, you use yourself or anything you have found valuable? In terms of frameworks for understanding people? Understanding people, understanding behaviors and so on. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in this book that I've just published, Cracking the Leadership Code, um, so there's three secrets. I talked about connection and communication. And the third one is around collaboration. And this one I find really useful. And there's a really useful framework for me because what I have found is that ultimately as owners and as managers, we can't really motivate anyone else directly, right? Trying to motivate somebody is just puts us back in that old school style of you must be motivated now. I mean, that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. So what I found is really the goal of us as owners and managers is how can we create an environment where people are most likely to motivate themselves? And so the framework I like to use around this is I believe there are four essential human needs that when they are met, people can perform at their best. 
And those needs are, everyone has a need for safety. And that is physical safety, which obviously like with coronavirus pandemic, pretty important. There's also psychological safety. Do people feel safe to be able to speak up and bring their whole selves to work? So the first need is safety. The second need is around energy, that people work better when the environment they're in supports them being energized. So for example, I'm sure many people have sat in a business meeting that went on for two or three hours without a break. And if, you know, at that point, you're just, you know, you're twitching to get up and you can't even think straight because it's going on so long. So a simple tool you could do is, as an owner, make sure you build in breaks every 75 minutes at most. So there's a need for safety, a need for energy. The third need is people have a need for purpose, that sense that they're not just doing something because it's just a paycheck but actually do they see how what I'm doing actually matters and contributes to something greater than myself? Because when people feel that what they do has a purpose, they bring much more energy and perform better. And then the fourth need is people have a need for ownership. Like you were talking about before, Mads, no one likes to be micromanaged. And so what we can do is create an environment where people have more latitude, autonomy, and freedom so they, they can bring their own creativity not necessarily that they get to decide what they do, but they get to decide how they go about doing it. So for me, having that framework in mind of safety, energy, purpose, and ownership, not everyone needs those four elements in the same proportion. But when I think of what are things that I can do in this environment, and in my book, I go through you know, dozens of different simple practical tips of things people can do to enhance people's needs in those different four categories. So for me, it's a useful framework to think about how do we inspire people to perform at their best. Excellent. Yeah, and you, you just mentioned your book. I'm super, super excited to read your book myself. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure as well in the podcast show notes that I link to it so the audience can, can take a look at it as well. Um, I think over the years, I mean, I, I started out literally learning management from reading books and I probably read a book a week for 10 plus years, right? So I've been through a lot of books, but I, I've always found that it is, it's the most powerful way, at least for me to learn because most books are just crafted so much better. Like when you're, when you're sitting with an individual or even nowadays, like I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff as well, but it, it is often it, it often have a little bit less value than than really well written books, right? Yeah, I mean you bring up such a good point because the act of writing, I mean, well, I shouldn't say just the act of writing. The act of writing well is really the act of rewriting because I can I mean, my book is two hundred and eighty pages, and it literally took me three years to write those pages because it wasn't just writing them once, but it's refining. And so, ideally, a, a well written book has been, you know, this wisdom that has been distilled and the insights distilled down to create such clarity. I mean, when you read a great book that just pops out and that's just so much rewriting, rewriting to make your ideas express themselves, which, you know, when we're just having a conversation, we do an okay job, but that's a first draft and we have to continue to work and refine our thinking. So yeah, I remember, I can't remember who said it, but they said that who you will be in the future is a result of the people you spend time with and the books that you read. So yeah, I think books you read is a great investment. Obviously, besides your book, what's, what's the number one book that you have enjoyed the most related to management and leadership? You know, a book that I keep coming back to is written by two heroes of mine, um, Jim Cousins and Barry Posner's The Leadership Challenge. Do you know that one? 
Um, I don't. Yeah, so Jim Cousins and Barry Posner both are college professors and researchers, and they originally wrote this book. I think the first publication was 1988. It's now in its sixth edition. It sold over two million copies around the world. And they were the ones who really popularized the idea that leadership isn't just the province of people like Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln, is that actually we can all be leaders. And they looked at what are the behaviors. In some ways, this book is the primer on which every leadership management book that has been written in the last 30 years is based on. So for me, I keep coming back to them. So they're heroes of mine. They were great. They both read and endorsed my book, which was such a thrill for me because I've looked up to them for so long. But yeah, Jim Cousins and Barry Posner's The Leadership Challenge is a huge recommendation of mine. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much for coming here today and sharing all your knowledge and experience. That was absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. If people are eager to get hold of you, what are the best places to do so? Yeah, so what I'm going to suggest is we've been talking about the book a bit, so it's easier to spell than my name. So we'll go to the book's website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. That will take you to the book's website page. And from there, you can actually learn all about the book. You can actually download the first chapter of the book right there to preview it. And that will connect you right to my website, which is alahunkins.com but you'll be there already. And right there, you can learn all about the coaching, speaking, and consulting work that I do and training work that I do to basically help people to become stronger leaders and managers. So you can also connect with me on LinkedIn from my website there as well. It's where I do all my social media. And if I can be of any support in any way to help you to become a stronger owner or manager or leader, please do feel free to reach out. Excellent. Thank you very much. And to the audience, thank you very much for listening this week. I'll talk to you all again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.